Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. How are you, my man? Very good. I, I feel like I um, got back in touch with my my young 11-year-old self who uh, was listening to MTV and, and Z100 and listening to grunge and alternative. So this was a, a nice change of pace. Um, yeah. I'm going to listen to some Pearl Jam who... Uh, as I mentioned last week, are one, is definitely one of my favorite bands of all time. So it was uh, definitely no no chore to go back and listen to Ten a couple of times this week. Yeah, I um, I, I chose this for a lot of reasons, and I'll get to all of them. But before I do, let's let's talk about some of the new stuff um, that we've kind of checked out this week. Uh, I have a couple of things that that really kind of hit the mark with me. One of my uh, guiltiest pleasures, uh, and this goes out to my my, my seventy thousand tons of metal uh, comrades, Kissin' Dynamite came out with a new single this week. Uh, it's called "Not the End of the Road," and it is exactly what you'd expect from Kissin' Dynamite. If you haven't heard them, it's kind of like a modern party rock type of band. Uh, I don't think they take themselves too seriously, but they put on a surprisingly good live show. I caught them twice on uh, on seventy thousand tons, and I, I I've been a fan of theirs for a really long time. Um, they had a bunch of lineup changes, but the single was really really good, and I, I certainly enjoyed that. I, I know I had sent it to you. What, what were your thoughts on it? I enjoyed it as well. Um, you know, I, I guess we've kind of uh, know what to expect at this point from them, but um, it's always it's always uh, good stuff and and always worth listening to. I I would definitely uh, love to be able to see them live at some point i feel like they would be a great uh a great addition to prog power um yeah i've been lobbying for them for a while prog powers again i've been lobbying for them for a while they're um they're just a fun band and they just put on a fun show and and and, you know the music is is what it is but it's i enjoy them uh and then going in a completely different direction enslaved who is a band i've mentioned a couple of times on the show released a new single from an upcoming ep by the same name called Caravans to the Outer Worlds. Uh, it comes out October 1st, but the single came out a couple of days ago and it was fantastic. Um, they just seem to get better with age. I think the songwriting seems to improve a lot over the years and I definitely recommend that people check that out, especially if you like that kind of modern black metal sound that they've got going on. It's really, really good. And then a third, a third single came out a couple of days ago, which I was shocked by because... It was a band that I was kind of into about 15 or years ago or so, and I hadn't listened to them in a long time, and that was Coheed and Cambria. They came out with a new video for a song called Shoulders, and apparently they're going on tour uh, recently as well. Uh, I think they're playing around here in September, and I was surprised. I just kind of like lost touch with them, but I always thought they were like modern-day Rush clones, if you will, which says something for sure. Uh, and like I said, they came out with a new single, and it was pretty good, so I, I want to check out the new album when it comes up. Oh yeah, I would love to hear that. I, I I don't know that many songs by the band, um, but the ones that I do know, I, I do en- enjoy quite a bit. So, um, uh, especially um, there was that one song that came out, I think during the um, during the guitar, like the real heavy guitar hero era. Um, welcome, was it? Uh, welcome, welcome home. Yeah, that's what it was called. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just I, it always that song always kind of gave me a. Um, a heavy metal kind of vibe to it, uh, even though they're not really a heavy metal band, but um, they, they definitely have some good tunes that I enjoy. So I would definitely be interested in hearing uh, what they're doing currently. Yeah, it's it's funny because you can't really put them in a box. They're like 
and, and you know, things that come out of boxes are usually really over. But for some reason, you can't really box these guys in. They, they got like prog rock, prog metal, emo, alternative. I don't Rubble know. Onions. Yeah, it's, 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 they're all over the place. And, but, but for some reason, it really works. And they're kind of a unique band and, and something I, I used to really like and, and something I can certainly find myself gravitating back towards. Um, so definitely, definitely check that out. Have you heard anything new this week that kind of struck an ear for you? Yeah, I actually got a, 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 um, a recommendation from our mutual friend, uh, Uncle Knops, uh, this morning for a band called uh, Elo. Um, it's nothing, it's not new per se. It came, uh, the album was called Union and it came out in uh, 2018. And the song that he sent me was called uh, Reanimate. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's got, kind of a poppy flair for a prog metal song but um uh good stuff thanks knops for that recommendation um i also uh brainstorm has been um trickling out some singles as well uh from their upcoming wall of skulls album and uh i think the latest one is called turn off the light um and that i think that one just dropped um yesterday it was definitely or even maybe even today it was very uh very recent and um also uh Tuomas Holopainen from Nightwish is releasing uh, the second of the Ori uh, albums that he um, is does with Troy Dinocli, who is the um, resident pipe player for Nightwish. And uh, also, I believe it's his wife um, who does the vocals on this. And it's, uh, it's very um, kind of folk rock, um, that, that kind of style, very different. But um, if you enjoy his songwriting, I, I would definitely recommend giving it a listen. Um, it's definitely so nice to just listen to something that's that's a bit, you know, a little bit off the beaten path. Um, not heavy by any stretch of the imagination, um, but really good stuff. Just, you know, he has a knack for songwriting, as we know. And um, his, his wife has a, a lovely voice, and Troy is just uber talented. He plays so many different instruments so well. So, um, yeah, just something to, uh, keep an eye on, um, the, the, their album, um, those we don't speak of will be, uh, released later this year. Nice. But I look forward to that as well. Um, uh, but let's get to the reason why we're here, which is Pearl Jam's 10. And, and I chose this for a number of reasons. A, a lot of the stuff that we've always talked about is kind of stuff that we grew up on when we first met, when we were, uh, obviously teenagers this is probably the first album that we've discussed, which I heard prior to meeting you, right? Because a lot of the stuff we've talked about, we either listened to when we, when we were growing up or later on in life. This stuff I knew before I ever met you. And obviously- I, 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 was, I was convinced you were listening to Dokken before we met, but I guess not. <laughs> I, and I may have been, but no, no, kidding aside, this was like my, for me, and it's it, uh, just to give to, uh, a peek behind the curtain, I was listening to this stuff in 1992. And then I kind of transitioned into Metallica and Tool in like the mid nineties. And then Pandora's box obviously blew open when, when I heard that mixtape that we've talked about. But this was really kind of like my gateway drug to like modern rock or hard rock music. And you can call it grunge. You can call it blues. You can call it a lot of different things, but it certainly is Pearl Jam's heaviest album and something I wanted to discuss because I know you're a huge, huge Pearl Jam fan. Uh, even more so than myself, although I do consider myself, you know, a, a definitely a big fan of the band. When did you first hear this album? Um, I want to say that 
I I want to say I borrowed Dan, the cassette tape from Dan Jelsic. Um, and so my introduction to Pearl Jam was actually from another of my Croatian friends, uh, Chris Marsic, <laughs> who... Uh, when I was in sixth grade, I don't think I ever shared the story on, on the sh- on the, the podcast, but um, he made me a mixtape around the time of my birthday, very similar to the to how Ralph would do uh, four years later. And um, I'll never forget it was on one side of the tape was uh, songs from CDs that he owned, and then the other side of the tape, and you'd have to be around our age to appreciate this, were songs he recorded off the radio. Right. Um, just some of his favorite singles or whatever. But I remember on, on the first side from the albums that he owned, um, the first songs that he put on there were from Pearl Jam's Versus, albums, uh, Versus album and Counting Crow's August and Everything After album. And, and the songs were um, uh, Daughter and Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town for Pearl Jam and, and Mr. Jones and Round Here for Counting Crow's. And that was kind of what, like was a gateway into the um you know what was the popular music like that was what was considered pop music at the time was was alt rock um if you turned on you know top 50 radio stations like this is the kind of stuff you were hearing and so that was kind of my intro to pearl jam so you know go being that it was around a time where pearl jam was having their issues with mtv like i was not exposed to Pearl Jam via MTV. Um, I was more so through the radio and hearing songs like Jeremy, um, especially on the radio and even yellow lead better, which was a, um, which was like a B side uh, from this uh, recording session became a radio hit. So I remember, you know, making, you know, circling back, I remember uh, borrowing that cassette tape from Dan and, and, listening to this album for the first time straight through because, you know, through the radio, I hadn't had a chance to hear, you know, songs like porch and, and oceans and, and garden and deep and release. Um, cause they, those weren't really radio hits. So, um, that was my, uh, experience. And, and I believe it or not, I remember how I got the, the CD was, um, my mom signed up for Columbia house and asked me to pick up, pick out a bunch of, CDs and this was one of them. I just felt like it was something I needed to own. So that's it's how funny. I. It's so funny. I actually got the CD the same exact way as part of a Columbia House order. Um, although I wound up getting it many years later, I was exposed to it around 92 and then or maybe possibly early 93. But I remember vividly, I guess it was 92 because I remember being at a friend's house. I think I was in fifth grade, I, you know, in fourth or fifth grade, and he had just gotten this CD. He's like, you got to hear this. And me not knowing what music was at 10 years old, uh, he puts it on and it was like my first exposure to the band. And then shortly thereafter, the Jeremy video hit MTV and I just saw it over and over again. And to this day, it is one of my favorite music videos, even though the band themselves hate it. So it's kind of ironic because I think it's very... uh very poetic, but I just want to paint a little bit of a picture before we dive into the album. Check this out for a second. I'm going to go back to, to 1991. August 12th, Metallica releases the Black Album. August 27th, Pearl Jam releases their debut album, 10, which obviously we're going to talk about. September 24th, uh, Like Em or Hate Em, Nirvana releases Nevermind, which obviously um, changed the music industry forever. And then, it, I guess it was a couple of weeks later in November, 
uh, Guns N' Roses would release Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Um, you want to talk about, like, a number of, like, life-changing albums back to back to back to back and just the impact that it had on the mu- uh, the music industry and to be clear it was September 17th actually that they that they released the Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 one week after um I should say one week before Nevermind came out that's a pretty solid 6 weeks of releases whether or not you like all these bands yeah um also September 24th uh the Chili Peppers released Blood Sugar Sex Magic. So. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, and, and to your point, this is what was dominating the radio airwaves at this point. And it was, you know, it's funny. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Blue Murder and how they just came along kind of at the wrong time. They were at the tail end of that, like, hair metal movement, which the bands were still coming out. But anyone that was coming out with stuff in 91, 92, was at the real tail end of the movement and, and kind of missed the boat in a number of ways. These alt-rock bands blew up. And I mean, blew up and became every bit as popular, more so than a lot of those bands like Poison and Def Leppard um, to, 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 to a lesser extent, just because of, I mean, it was, it, was, it was just a complete shift in the way that these rock bands were constructing their stuff. And it had that, like, it didn't have the polish or the makeup feel to it. It had just like this grungy, dirty feel to it. Almost like a skid row type of feel, but just not as heavy and, you know, <laughs> drug-induced, I guess. It was it's it just really, really, really interesting to me how you can see the shift. And then by 1994, after Green Day had come out with Dookie, everything shifted away from rock and was going into the hip-hop and the R&B. So it's just... It's amazing how these things kind of cycle over time. But um, I, my experience was the same, as I said. I listened to this album at a friend's house, and it really just blew my mind because I had never heard anything other than what my parents were listening to at the time. And rest assured, they were they were not listening to Pearl Jam. So it was, it was kind of interesting. Um, do you, you know, before we get to the album itself, having been exposed to some of the stuff on Versus, what, how would you compare the two albums? Because obviously you kind of went backwards into, into their catalog by getting 10 or, or listening to it after you, you heard some of the stuff on verses. Uh, yeah, I, I thought, I mean, it's hard to say because I've listened to these albums so many times since then. So I have a very specific point of view nowadays of how I feel about all of them individually and, and against one another. Um, so at the time, I don't know that I, really particularly noticed a a huge difference. I mean, for sure, like, um, elderly woman was more of a, a a ballad and, or just like a, a slower paced song. Um, you know, in retrospect, like, I feel like, um, versus is a little bit more, um, varied, I guess has a little bit more stylistically varied than 10 is just pretty much like start to finish. Um, uh, with the exception of like oceans and release, it's pretty much just heavy, crunchy, like, um, you know, grunge alternative hard rock. I mean, it, it's not really that far off. I mean, people that don't really understand Pearl Jam are going to probably laugh at this comment, but this is not far off from heavy metal. Um, and I mean, when you think about a band that like Alice in Chains that kind of bridges to me, they always bridge that gap between metal and and that grunge alternative. So you know, Pearl Jam was kind of more on the grunge alternative side of things. But I mean, this is not you know, this is some heavy stuff. Like it's, I think Pearl Jam would go on to not 
be as heavy as the years would go on, which a lot of people, that's why a lot of people still to this day swear 10, like by 10 is their favorite Pearl Jam album. And I'm not even sure if it is mine just because I've played it so many times that it's almost become like, I don't even know, like just, it's so maybe repetitive, but at the same time, like after going back and listening to it again, this week, it had to have been the first time in a long time that I listened to it start to finish. It just rekindled that love that I have for this album. But it's just years of listening to like a million different live versions of each song. And like it's Pearl Jam such a bootleg band. So like, you know, when you get into deep into the weeds as a fan, you know, you're listening to people's favorite version of Even Flow from you know, Boston in 1997, like it's, it's crazy. So, um, I guess I kind of went off a a bit of a tangent there, but, um, I just, yeah, I think that, um, you know, versus does have a little bit of the grungy flavor that 10 has, but it also goes into some other, uh, directions as well, I think. And, um, I think there are moments on verses that are even heavier, than 10 when you think about songs like uh, Leash and Rats and Blood. Like, those are some really heavy songs that I think are heavier than anything on 10. But I think, on a whole, I think 10 is just a, a, a you know, start to finish, just a, a overall a, a more consistently heavy album. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and all of the, although Versus has its moments as to, what you know, obviously being a very uh, heavy in parts, it's, it's definitely a more diverse album but because my first exposure to the band was 10, I kind of had this image of what the band was and what I fell in love with. And I feel like every album since then, in one way, shape, or form, they've kind of deviated from that sound. And obviously, the stuff you hear today, while I certainly enjoy it, it's not like that first love of, of 10. And I know that I share the the opinion of a lot of fans uh, where, where they, they just kind of hold this on a pedestal on, in and unto itself because it's just such a special disc. Um, but, it, but it is interesting because you did use the term metal to describe it. And I don't think it's that far off. Um, this is an album that has guitar solos. I mean, I'm not suggesting it's Ingve Malmsteen, but they have great guitar solos on this disc and crushing riffs. And, and it reminds me really is just an extension of, of where metal would honestly go before it went full fledged alternative, uh, you know, in the mid, in the mid nineties. But, you know, when it comes to these alternative bands, these guys were always at the top of my list. And, I, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, this weekend, I was out on a fishing boat, and unbeknownst to me, even when you're 60 miles off the coast, you still get XM radio on a boat or Sirius or what have you. I was shocked. And the guy, the captain of the boat, was um, using uh, using using the satellite radio, and he was playing for about four or five hours straight the channel Lithium which is obviously a lot of this stuff. So I spent basically my entire Saturday listening to bands that I just, for whatever reason, haven't had a chance to listen to in a long time. Live, Counting Crows, Alice in Chains. They even played like Tool and considered it, I guess, uh, you know, enough of the genre that they put it on Lithium. And I said to myself, this stuff is all really, really good. And I kind of miss not listening to this stuff because, you know, it's what I grew up on as a kid. But Pearl Jam's 10, I just think, is a cut above almost all of that stuff because of just how magical it was. And maybe it's because it was one of the first albums in the genre and what I remember from being a 10-year-old. Yeah, it's kind of insane that this was 
their debut album. Um, I think it's kind of held them back from. I mean, they're they're such a huge band, so I'm not going to sit here and say that like they don't have a strong fan base because their fan base is arguably bigger than any band we've talked about. But um, I just think that as far as metal fans go, I think that it was hard for them to go beyond this album because they wanted, I think they wanted this style to continue and, and Pearl Jam didn't really uh, kind of follow, like use this as a template for what they were going to be going forward. Um, I, I think that, uh, I think that the vocals have a lot to do with what makes it alternative. Like, and I mentioned this in our blue murder episode when I talked about Andrew Wood, who was the, the lead vocalist for, um, uh, Mother Love Bone, who, um, which is where some of the members of Pearl Jam kind of, um, got their start, um, in the late eighties. And, and because his vocals were more akin to like, a to like a hair metal band, it was almost like this hair metal vocalist singing with like a grunge band. And I feel like if Andrew Wood was the singer of 10, it might be more, maybe it'd be more considered, on like a, a borderline metal album. I, I don't know. Um, well, Eddie Vedder, I mean, obviously does not sound like, um, you know, Mark Slaughter, right? I mean, like there's, 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 it's just such a different voice. And even Kurt Cobain, uh, and even, and even, you know, when you think of bands like Live and Alice in Chains, none of these bands sounded at least vocally like anything that was coming before it, you know, your, your, any of those hair bands, uh, I, you know, Brett Michaels and, and Eddie Vedder couldn't be any more different in terms of their styling. So it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting to me. And I think you're onto something because again, from a guitar standpoint, at least the riffs, yeah, maybe it's tuned down a little bit, but it's not that far off in the grand scheme of things, but the vocals will really separate the two. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, it's kind of funny because at the time, uh, like Eddie Vedder's vocals were so unique. And now there's like, God knows how many clones that you've heard over the years. I remember when Creed first came out and people thought it was Pearl Jam. I wanted to, I wanted to slap them, but um, it's, it's, it's funny how like in the, the kind of the post grunge era, um, there was so many like Eddie Vedder kind of wannabe types, but at the time, like I, his voice was so unique I don't think anybody had ever really heard anything like it at the time. And I think that was, I mean, it's such a huge part of their identity is his, is his voice. Um, and, and he's just, I mean, this album is so just incredible, like start to finish. And he's just, just tears it up. Like, it's just, um, it's really, I, I think that he, draws the attention to him to to him like you know like there's a lot of the musicians are all really good but like you're drawn to him and visually when they're playing live and he's climbing on stuff and jumping off things and and just he's got so much energy at this time like he just takes you know all that all that focus like you just you can't look away from him yeah and what's interesting is that a lot of the album or a lot of what we now know to be 10 was actually just demo tracks that the band had created in order to find the singer. And I have to assume that when they heard Eddie Vedder sing over the top of songs that would ultimately become Alive and Once in Black, that's what kind of solidified him as like the missing piece of the band. And, and obviously away they went and, and, and to superstardom and, and worldwide success. And, and obviously now... 
you know, they're, they're not getting the radio play that they may have enjoyed 25 or 30 years ago. But by the same token, they sell out every single state, every single arena that they play in. And they go on these tours playing multiple shows in either arenas or in certain cases, big stadiums. I know they played Fenway Park recently, Safeco Field in Seattle. Uh, you know, they, they're playing in front of tens of thousands of people every single time that they take the stage. And obviously, I wanted to get into this later, but I'll, I think it's a, it's a nice segue. Just in terms of a live act, I would put them up against anybody in terms of a live band for multiple reasons. A, it's just a fantastic show. And B, their ability to mix in different songs on a night-to-night basis where you have no idea what they're going to play is 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 so refreshing it's something that dream theater used to do and i used to uh, commend them for this uh when mike portnoy was in the band how they would just change their set lists up on a night-to-night basis i love that i love going to a show and having no idea what you're going to hear whether it's going to be a greatest hit set or a bunch of b-sides that you never thought you'd hear live yeah, the the excitement of seeing them is so awesome because the like if you have a strong command of their discography, then you know you're going to enjoy it because they could play anything and you're going to be happy and and they will they'll play anything and everything. I mean, um, I've I've seen some performances of songs that you'd never expect to hear live, and it's it's so cool not knowing, especially with their penchant for playing covers as well. I mean, you really just never know what they're going to bust out. They're probably my all-time favorite live band. I I don't even know if anybody else comes close. I've seen them, I think, 14 times now, which is like pales in comparison to some of their, their real, like, you know, their real fans that have been following them around for years and would follow them around on tours and see every show of a tour just because they knew every set list was going to be something different. So um, kind of circling back to what you were saying, like, um, you know, just a little insight on this, the story of, of where, how they got Eddie Vedder to join the band was through the Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer, Jack Irons, who would end up being Pearl Jam's drummer. He gave the, the, the tape to Eddie. They were friends. Then they would play basketball in, uh, in Cal yeah, in Southern California. And, uh, and then like Eddie just recorded his vocals on a cassette and sent it back to Seattle. And they were working on the, uh, the temple of a dog album at the time. And, um, and that was a great album be, in its own right. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. And that was meant to be a tribute to Andrew Wood, who I mentioned earlier, he died of a heroin overdose. He was only 24 years old. And that guy had stardom written all over him. He was, um, he just had this, uh, the you know the it factor I think and he I think he would have been a really big star but um, so you know they were recording this this album with um, some of the guys from Soundgarden including Chris Cornell and so they bring in Eddie Vedder to, to kind of try out for Pearl Jam but also to be you know to do some vocals on this album and the song Hunger Strike became a part of that and, and I didn't know I just assumed that as a kid I figure oh Pearl Jam and Soundgarden got together and they did the song together or whatever, but apparently like Eddie Vedder, like 10 wasn't out yet. So like, that was the, that was our kind of intro to Eddie Vedder was that track, uh, hunger strike from the temple of the dog album. And, and uh, you know, the rest is, as they say, is history because he ended up sticking with, uh, the rest of the guys and, uh, 
And, and at the time, Matt Cameron was the drummer for Soundgarden, and now he's the drummer for Pearl Jam. So I guess uh, a lot of things kind of went full circle from that, that time recording uh, Temple of the Dog in 19... Uh, I think they were recording it in 1990, and it was released a few months before 10 in 1991. Yeah, I was actually listening to that earlier just because I love that album. And I remember when we were at the show at Madison Square Garden where they actually played Hunger Strike. I thought that was just really, really... Uh, Really cool. And when they bust out some of those old uh, Temple of the Dog songs, it's um, definitely a treat. Uh, and before we get into the album, let's talk about the uh, the name of the album, which is 10, which obviously has a very, very unique lineage coming from Mookie Blaylock, which was the former name of the band and the actual name of uh, the New Jersey Nets point guard at the time. Uh, he wore the number 10, and that's why they selected the number 10 for the album, which I thought was a fantastic story uh and if you're a fan of the old uh, nba in the late uh, in the mid uh, in the mid 90s in the early 90s obviously you know who mookie blaylock was yeah I, I it's it i just think about how funny it would have been if they stayed called mookie blaylock <laughs> and that's who we were talking about we were doing a review of mookie blaylock's 10 <laughs> exactly which is probably better than some of his point guard play at least early on in his career but no he had a very successful nba career he would play about 12 or 13 seasons uh it was an all-star a couple of times if i'm not mistaken he was he was uh, a good a good nba player and 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 um you know I, but that being said, I think the best thing they ever did was change the name to Pearl Jam and away they went. And and let's just jump into the album at this point. The, the album starts off with one of their heaviest tracks, a real banger in once. I think that it's a Stone Gossard track. It's it's not the longest track on the disc, but it sets the tone for what this band would be, especially in the early phases of their career. Yeah, and uh, this was um, this was part of a, a, uh, a three-song suite that only two songs ended up on the album, which is kind of funny. Um, you know, it, it goes along with Alive and uh, why am I blanking on the, the third one? Um, it was uh, it was from, it was a, a, on one of the singles. Um, footsteps, I think, right? What's that? Yes, Foot- Footsteps. So yeah. this was part of a, it, this was a part of a kind of a trilogy that, um, even though Stone, uh, you know, wrote the music, uh, Eddie wrote the lyrics, and um, the whole thing was a suite based on um, kind of some some traumatic stuff that Eddie dealt with as a child, and and um, so a lot of times, uh, you know, you'll find that those three songs will be performed uh, in succession during a, a live show. But yeah, this is um, I remember the song really sticking out to me just um, when I first heard it because it's just starting out the album with such like energy and and explosiveness right off the bat. Um, I mean, really like the, the first like four songs on this album, it's just, they come out swinging. I mean, they do. Yeah. And it gives it a little bit of a a slowdown, but I mean like those first four songs are, are, I mean, they're, they're just out to show that they mean business here. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is, you know, obviously as as a fan of, you know, stuff that's a lot heavier than this, I don't know that the guitar work stands out, although I think a lot of the riffs are very, very memorable. But Eddie's vocals, right away when you hear once, you know that this is something different. And I try to put myself in the mindset of someone who's listening to this in 1991 or when I first heard it a year later. It was definitely 
different and like not what people were listening to at the time. So this had to have been a real culture shock, I think, if you were hearing it for the first time back then. Now we've we've obviously grown accustomed to it, so it's a lot different. Um, but just a, a great opening track, uh, memorable vocals, and, and really kind of arguably one of the birth of grunge with with a track just like that. Because again. You know, a lot of the a lot of the hair metal bands were not doing this, and then it goes into Even Flow, which is arguably one of their most iconic songs of all time. And it's 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 a funny story about Even Flow. They played at virtually like I guess every one of their concerts, and all the fans, I mean, like the long term hardcore fans of the bands, always use this as a chance to go get a beer because they've heard it probably twenty five thousand times. Yeah, uh, me and Nops have a tradition that like whenever they play this, we hightail it to the bathroom. And, and then grab a beer and then get back to our seats and the song's still playing. It's so funny. Going back and listening to the studio, the studio version of this song reminded me how much I used to love this song and how much I still love this song, the studio version. But I hate hearing it live now yeah. just because it becomes – it's turned into such a wank fest because it's just – it's and, you know, the, Pearl Jam literally, like, takes two songs and turns them into – jam sessions it's this and porch which are both from this album and um which is fine like it's their prerogative but i just you know i think it it makes for a a convenient excuse to get up and and go to the bathroom or get a concession or something because you know that they're not going to change songs you aren't going to miss anything for the next eight minutes um but man the 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 studio version the original version of this song is is so awesome um i I just kind of it's I just, just forgot how much I liked it, and and and, I, and it makes me think of the music video that they released because it was such a raw, just like this smoky, like poor quality version of the band just playing on stage, and not really much else to it. But it was just that that, and I think they made a video for a live that was very similar to that. Um, just it, it was just grungy. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> it's it's funny because it's it's such a great song, but because I think I've heard it, like you were saying. I think I've just heard it so many times because it's gotten radio play. Even now it's on classic rock radio. I, I hate to say it, but it's classic rock 30 years ago. Um, it, it was nice to listen to it. I, I don't know. It was nice to listen to it in the sequence of the album as opposed to a standalone track because as a standalone track, I think I'm sick of it. But in the scope of listening to the whole album, it was almost refreshing, which is – I know – a little bit of an oxymoron, but it was refreshing to hear on 10. Whereas if I heard it on the radio, I would skip it and change the station. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I think there's, um, a bunch of songs on this album that, uh, that I think that I just got kind of tired of hearing live, but I, I forgot that like the experience of listening to the studio version just takes you right back to when you first heard it. And I think that, um, I kind of, I think I kind of downgraded this entire album in my head for the longest time because I just wanted to hear the band play some of my other favorite deep tracks from other albums. And I've heard them play every song from this album. Some of them, I think alive, they've played at every show I've seen them at. Um, well, that's, and that's the next track I was going to say. You want to talk about songs that are um, almost played out, if you will. Alive is that, although again, when you go back and listen to it in the scope of this album, it's a great, great track with, I would obviously argue, the most iconic Pearl Jam guitar solo 
on any of their albums. Um, it is, it is, it is not the most difficult solo in terms of, I guess, good, you know, like, um, technicality. But if I picked up a guitar because I've heard the solo so many times, not that I could play it, but at least I would know the notes to try to teach myself how to play it, if that makes sense, because it's just so iconic and, and resonates. You know, I, I could, you could, you could sing the solo because you've just heard it so many times, but it's, it's just classic Pearl Jam. Yeah, and the fact that they they stuck it at the end of the song, like it's just so typical for a guitar solo in a rock song to be, you know, tor- like before the 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 chorus comes back in again. But no, they end the song with the guitar solo, and it. I have this vivid recollection of being at our friend Nick's house and him putting on that song. Just being, you got to listen to this guitar solo. It's like the best guitar solo ever, and like. I think this was before we were all listening to metal at that point, and, and I think there would be some guitar solos that would really blow this one out of the water that we would hear not too soon after. But um, I, I just remember him just being so excited about it, and I'm fairly certain that you were there at the time too, and, and possibly our friend Ryan as well. But because I mean, we were all uh, Pearl Jam fans. I, I, I know Nick and Ryan, and you were, and I know I I became a big one. I don't know if I was a huge one yet, but um. We all love this band. It was hard not to. So um, this song is is a staple in their live set. And um, I remember the first time I saw them live, I was so excited to hear it. And now it's kind of like, I think I've overplayed it personally. Like I would put it on jukeboxes every time I went to bars. I would sing it karaoke style. Like I kind of killed it on my own. Um, But yeah, like you said, like it, it, it just when you hear it in this, the course of the rest of the album, it's like, yeah, this is, it's such an anthemic song, even though if you know the true meaning of the lyrics, it's really kind of a downer, but, um, the, the, the hearing the whole stadium of fans sing along to this is a really cool experience. And it makes for a good, like towards the end of the, uh, the set list song, which, um, I, I think I've never seen Pearl Jam play it outside of a, of a encore. Yeah, I, I think it's a, definitely a staple. And I'll say this, as much as I enjoyed the album when I first heard it, I always thought, and, and I'll, I'll get to this in a little bit, but I, I, I always thought, again, when I was a kid, that Jeremy, and maybe it's because of the video and the MTV play, that it stood out heads and shoulders above everything else on the album. And I've done a complete 180 on that because uh, a number of reasons. Uh, but it's just interesting because as much of a fan as I was when I when I – heard that solo in his basement i think i was still in that well it's it's great but it's not jeremy phase and i would like i said i would do a complete 180 on that and i'll I'll get to that in a second one of the tracks that follows this which is why go was a was a track that actually grew on me quite a bit when i first heard it when i was a kid i wasn't as crazy about it and now i'm totally into it it's a really groovy track i love how it starts with just like the drums and the bass and kind of picks up from there it took a while, but this one, as it marinated over the years, became a, a kind of a favorite of mine. Yeah, this is another one. I mean, it's going to sound like a broken record, but this is another one that I think really is a blast to hear in a live setting. But uh, yes, again, it, it just kind of keeps that um, just keeps things rolling, um, you know, from once to even flow to a live to why go. It's like uh, it, the album doesn't really slow down at all during these first four tracks. And this is just another, like it's, it's a, yeah, like you said, it's a little bit more groovy, a little bit more, um, 
I don't know if bluesy is the right word, but it, it definitely has a lot of balls to it. Um, and uh, Eddie's vocals are, are pretty raw, I think, in the song. So um, We're going to get to the another... bluesy stuff when we get to Oceans, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Um, it's, 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 it's a raw track. It almost it, it harkens back to once just because it doesn't have that polish that Evenflow does or Alive does, um, but it, it works. And then they slow it down, right? Then they get to black, which I will simply say is um, – I don't know that I recognized it when I was 12, but I'll say it now. It is the best song on the album in my opinion just in terms of the way it's constructed. And I think it has some of the best lyrics of any song ever. Um, it's depressing. Obviously, but that last uh, that last verse of this song, I guess it's really the bridge of this song where he starts talking about, um, you know, being the star in the sky and why can't it be mine? I, I don't know that anything paints imagery quite like that on 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 99 percent of the albums out there. And this has become one of my absolute favorite songs of all time by any band. And as a result, I'll make it my song of the week. I just absolutely think this is a magical track. Um, and, and I think it's just the way it's constructed makes it a perfect song. There was a time where I was like kind of sick of the song because this was one of those songs that they played on the radio a lot. And, um, but as time's gone by and, and one of the videos we will post this week is the version of this song from MTV unplugged. It's unbelievable. Um, just everything you just said describing it, but like even with more raw emotion because it's yes. a live performance um and he and Eddie to, better in on that track puts his heart and soul into that performance uh they recorded that as an acoustic show for mtv if i'm not mistaken in 1992 in new york city and um it is one of the best acoustic albums and performances but that performance of black is the best i've ever seen yeah it's and and as years have gone on i've just become more and more of a fan of the song, the more I've heard it live. And, and the fact that like uh, that Mike loves it now, like he talks about putting it on jukeboxes when he's out at bars and stuff. And like, it's like, I think it's his favorite Pearl Jam song nowadays. It's that kind of makes me like it even more because, uh, you know, Mike's not the biggest Pearl Jam fan in the world, but I always give him a hard time whenever Pearl Jam comes on poking him and whatnot. And that's like an inside joke that, uh, all of our friends are aware of, but, uh, yeah, this is, um, I, I got, I, I remember driving, I was on my way to Long Island from upstate driving in my car and I remember just getting a text 
from Knops and just going like the lyrics of the song are insane. Like it's, he was just talking about like what, just the whole the, the whole song on a whole. It's just such an un, you know, lyrically and, and musically all of it. It's it's a really beautiful, um, really incredible song. And again, it's just uh, more just you know, Stone Gossard is just showing how what like an amazing songwriter he is. He, he's the probably the the has the most songwriting credits on the album. Although in all honesty, my knowledge of Pearl Jam, everybody was involved in some form or fashion in creating these songs. But, um, yeah, just a, a unbelievably like heart wrenching, like, you know, it, I, I, it's, uh, it's kind of a perfect spot after like four heavy songs to just kind of, uh, slow things down a little bit towards the middle of the album, kind of slowing things down before we, you know, you get to Jeremy, which is, you know, arguably the, the most epic, of all the tracks on the album. And I think part of the fact that it's epic is because I have that iconic imagery of the video in my head, which if anyone hasn't seen it, it's obviously about a troubled youth who, um, you know, goes a little bit wayward and ultimately commits, you know, the heinous act of, of, of shooting up his classroom. You know, it's, it's, it's obviously just like, you know, the, the cry of a troubled youth. And it's certainly, iconic in, 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 in its, in its lyrics and whatnot, but it's the video that every time I hear the song, I think of the video and I'm just shocked that the band who ironically recorded two different versions of the video, but the version you see on MTV is, is obviously the final version that, that, that made it. They were never fans of the, of, of the final product. But to me, it's the link between the song, which is amazing. And that video Again, for me, for years, it was my favorite Pearl Jam song just because of that imagery. It's it's an iconic music video. I don't know that the band dislikes the video. I know they hated the original video, and that's why mm. they made this um, because I they see. wanted a much better video. And and I, and I'm going to correct you because I think so many people don't realize this. Um, but the in the video, the, the 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 kid actually shoots himself in front of all of his classmates, but. MTV ah. cut out the part where he turns the gun on himself because they thought it was too, you know, rough. too violent or whatever. So all you end up seeing is all these these other kids in the classroom, like in freeze frame with blood all over them. But it's actually the kids' blood from oh, shooting so it's like a state of, of shock. See, I didn't know that. I'm glad. Yeah, I, and, I, I, and I don't. And I think a lot of people didn't realize that, myself included. Um, but um, they, you know, you. I'm sure on YouTube you can find the unedited uh, version. And it's funny that they say it's unedited. It's literally like a second or two different from probably what you remember seeing. But um, that was that's actually what happens in the video. It's probably still my all-time favorite music video. Yeah. Um, I used to hate this song. Um, it, was the, I, it was my least favorite song on the really? entire album. Why? Because... Because I, I think when I was young, the video kind of scared me a little bit. And and then I would hear it in the car and I'd just be like, ugh, enough with the song. And as the, the the older I get and the more I hear it, I I think I just like it a little bit more every time I hear it. It's I don't know why it's grown on me later on, but I just That's think fascinating. It's, it, it's such a haunting song. I mean, following another haunting song, but for completely different reasons. Um, it took me 
five or six shows seeing Pearl Jam before I got to see them play the song live, and it was I remember just being so excited. But um, this is uh, man, this is this is a song that just has grown grown with me over the years, and it's now one of my all time favorite Pearl Jam songs. And uh, I, I don't, it might be my song of the week. I haven't decided yet because <laughs> we'll, it's we'll just... circle we'll circle back. But if it is, I don't blame you because for me it was probably my song of like. Again, 1992 to 1995. So to put it in perspective, I, I, I completely am with you. They do a little bit of an about face with Oceans. And this is a song that while I certainly enjoy it now, I definitely struggled with when I was a kid. This to me has that bluesy feel and actually reminds me of Led Zeppelin's The Ocean in a lot of spots, which is kind of ironic. Um, not that I'm suggesting it's the same song by any means, but I definitely hear a connection there, and it's just ironic because of the same name. This is one of the more bluesier tracks on the album, and which is why I say it's a little bit hard to pigeonhole these as just a you know a strict grunge record. I wanted to hear this song live so badly, and I had to see Pearl Jam live ten times before I heard them play it live for the first time, and it was at. Barclays Center, I remember it vividly, considering how intoxicated I was at the time. Um, I'm surprised that I I have such clear memories of, of marking out at certain songs at that show, and Oceans was one of them, and, and uh, me and Knops always shared a, a, a deep love for this song um, through power hours um and just the music video that was never it was never released in the u.s i think it was only released in europe but um it was on one of their dvds probably the touring band dvd that came out in 2000 so and it's just this cool video of the band just like screwing around on the beach jumping off of cliffs into water and and i'll never forget not saying like he said that this music video makes me want to be a rock star I just remember him saying that. So I always think of that whenever I hear the song. It, it, this song, probably, I probably didn't give it a second thought when I was a kid. And now it's like one of my favorite songs on this album. It's it's so good. And, and the fact that it's different from everything else, I think, really sets it apart. Nice. I, I, I can totally appreciate that. And I, I actually remember seeing that video later on because you're right. It was a European-only video, but it was just so much fun. And it just, for a song that, is not so much fun, but the video kind of creates a different imagery that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be associated with a song like that. But then you get to the next song, which is actually the only song that Eddie Vedder gets the full songwriting credits for. And that's porch. This is an amazing song. This is, it's, it's a lot more upbeat and it actually reminds me of what the Foo Fighters would ultimately become. And just in terms of this like epic rock track puts a smile on your face I love this song. And I don't know that I appreciated it as much again when I was a kid because maybe it's because I only listened to the first half of the album so many times. But Porch is like a gem on the on the B side of the album. Yeah, I, I totally agree that like I, as a kid, I phased out after Jeremy because it's just that like – I want to say all six of those those first six songs were had radio play like this. I mean, it, these were really popular songs. So, you know, the next five songs weren't really songs you would have heard on the radio. Um, this is a song that I grew appreciation for through the live performances of it and how much the fan base loses their mind when they play it. It's so funny because even Flo 
which is like the go get your beer song or the popcorn match, as we say in the wrestling <laughs> business. Um, this is like the, the same thing in that, like they kind of extended into this jam session, but it's almost like, it's like, can't miss. You want to see like all eight or nine minutes of porch uh, in a totally different way than even flow. It's like this song works so much better in a, in an extended longer jam session kind of way. Whereas I think even flow doesn't really need that. But it's fresh, and I think that that's the reason. You've heard Even Flow 10,000 times on the radio during your plays of the album. And for all those times that you heard Even Flow, you may not have heard Porch as many times because it's on the backside of the album, and they don't play it live every single show, or at least not that I'm aware of. Um, so it's kind of a treat when they do play it, and, and it's every bit as awesome, maybe more awesome. It just doesn't have the, the – it, it's just not played as much, and I think that that's part of the reason because – it's 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 fresher and, and and I love it. I'm curious to know your thoughts about Garden, which is the next song, because I have some pretty um, polarizing thoughts on this. Yeah, um, just one last thing on Porch. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, another thing we we will post this week for sure is the iconic uh, performance from Pink Pop in 1992, where Eddie Vedder uh, climbed onto a a camera crane and then dove <laughs> into the fans uh, who then proceeded to crowd surf him back to the stage during the guitar solos. And then just in time for him to finish singing um, it's, I mean, otherwise I probably would recommend again, the, the version from MTV unplugged. Um, but this is, I think the definitive uh, live performance of the song. And, and if you've never seen the video, it's, it's definitely worth seeing what we'll, we'll post that this week. Uh, along with the the unplugged version of Black, um, I mean, Pearl Jam just is such an epic live band. There's so many cool, um, just live like video versions of of, of iconic versions of songs. So, um, uh, yeah, Garden is, um, you know, it, it's not one of my favorite songs on the album. It might it might be my least favorite song on the album. Um, it's kind of mellow, but in maybe kind of a, a more boring way than like oceans was. Um, I don't dislike it. I, 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 this is one of the ones I actually prefer live. Um, but, uh, it was kind of cool hearing them play it at Madison square garden and like having Eddie be like, well, you know, you can't play at the garden and not play garden. So, <laughs> um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, like kind of a mellower tune, but, um, it's just, it just isn't my favorite, probably my least favorite on a, on a very stacked album. Yeah, it's my my least favorite as well. And I think that because it has this really long instrumental section, which I just find a bit dry. And maybe I'm looking at it with revisionist history. But when I think of all the prog bands that I'm listening to now and I listen to their instrumental sections, it's just so much. There's a lot more meat on the bone than what was going on here. And for some reason, I just never gravitated towards this track i think i like it a lot more than when i did when i was a kid but it's not my favorite track on the album it's actually unequivocally my least favorite track on the album uh whereas with deep the following track which is like the penultimate track another bluesy track and, and i just keep thinking of jimmy page when i listen to this song just the way that the guitars have this bluesy sound to it uh kind of a, a hidden gem on the album if you will i don't know that this track gets the love that it might otherwise deserve yeah, uh, I I think that's well said. Um, this probably could have been a radio hit for the band, but I mean, there were so many other ones. It's just how many can there be? Um, this is another song that is just um, 
just another like really fun song to hear performed live. The fans get really into it. Um, this is kind of the last of the real heavy tracks on the album, but um, yeah, this is another really good tune. Um, again, like it's not one of my favorites though on the album. Like it's weird. Cause I think that like the last three songs are actually my, my three least favorite songs on the album. And that doesn't really have anything to do with, like nostalgia it's just that i've listened to these songs so many times i know them like the back of my hand and i just don't happen to love the last three which i so i find like the 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 track order it's iconic because it's burned into my brain but at the same time like i feel like it probably for my taste it could have been balanced better um that's just me personally i'm gonna disagree with you on 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 release which is the last track I have never enjoyed that song so much as I did this week. I think it is an absolute hidden gem on this album. I think it's a phenomenal closing track. And I love the slow build. And although it sounds nothing like the band I'm going to mention, it reminds me of kind of like Anathema, where it starts off with this simple, simple guitar riff and just builds and builds and builds. And it's got this slow build. And by by the end of the song, you're like, wow, that was really impressive. I love this track. And if it wasn't for the fact that Black is such an iconic track with the lyrics and the in the imagery there, I think I would have actually chosen Release as my song of the week. Cool. Yeah, it's it's definitely my favorite of the last three tracks, and I think it's a solid choice for the final track. But um, I just feel like the album was definitely a bit front-loaded um, just because I feel like Garden and Deep don't hold up their end of the bargain compared to like Even Flow and Alive and Why Go and, and Once and all the really heavier more iconic songs towards the beginning, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. It's is a, a iconic album start to finish. And, and uh, yeah, releases is, is a, a fantastic song. I don't, I feel like I've heard them perform it live very infrequently. Yeah. I've never heard it live. And I was looking back at some, I, I've only seen them three times, which obviously pales in comparison. I've never seen it live. I think I would mark out if I did. I, I, I just, I think it would be really, really fun to see. And I'll say something else, which is kind of interesting. As someone who knows that they change their set lists up every show, I kind of always hoped they would just go back and, and they do this on occasion and just play the entire album because it's just such a great album. And then I got a text message from a, a mutual friend of ours back on April 29th, 2016. They played this entire album for the first time in its entirety, straight through since 1992 at a show in Philadelphia at the Wells Fargo Center. And I just thinking to myself, remember thinking to myself, I should have gone to this show because it would have just been so cool to hear the whole thing live. Yeah, they released that um, as a like a weekend only view that you could watch. Um, yep. I think I, it was only, I think it was like 10 bucks if you're a fan club member. Um, so I, I remember ordering it and what a great, it was like a Friday night and I, I put it on, I had a six pack of that, uh, that Yingling Hershey's, uh, yeah, beer yeah, that yeah. they had the, 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 the stout. Um, 
and I just put my feet up on the on the coffee table and I pumped up the the music and just watched that whole set. I mean, and and the funny thing is, is that like for a lot of bands, you'd say, oh, they played like a whole album, so I didn't get to hear much else. But like, yeah, they played eleven songs from ten, and then they went on to play another twenty songs after that. So, uh, truly, truly a remarkable, remarkable live act. Let me, let me ask you, um, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on some of the the uh, some of the the B sides or bonus tracks or some of the songs that didn't make it onto? I mean, I feel like we'd be remiss in not mentioning Yellow Leadbetter amongst oh, um, yeah. uh, amongst the others, but um, there there's quite a few songs that were recorded around this time, and I think we could even mention the the two songs that they recorded for the the single soundtrack in 19, 1992 as well. Yeah, it's funny because when you start factoring those songs, uh, a Yellow Leadbetter, for example, and you factor that in as part of these sessions, you it's almost mind-boggling as to how much quality material they had, and they just kind of had to limit it. It reminds me of Dream Theater, who when they wrote Images and Words, they had a change of seasons in their back pocket, and so had they made a change of seasons into two discs – the second disc would have had a change of seasons on there. And it's just like mind blowing the quality of material. This is, it reminds me of the same thing. I mean, I don't know that I would consider dirty Frank, the, the, the be all and end all project songs as fun as it might be, but like they just, the, the, the songs that they had in their back pocket here, um, you know, the, I've got a feeling cover. It's just absolutely amazing stuff that they were doing. And, and, I loved it. I, I absolutely, I loved it. And, and not to mention the fact that uh, State of Love and Trust, which is another iconic Pearl Jam song, was actually written and, and could have easily been on this album as well. Yeah, uh, Breath being another one. I, two yeah. of my favorite Pearl Jam songs that both ended up on the single soundtrack, which the band appears in the movie. Um, it, it's pretty much, if you wanted to see a movie about uh, Seattle, the Seattle grunge scene, uh, that is the movie to see Cameron Crowe's singles. It's one of the most iconic uh, movie soundtracks of all time, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I mean, when you think about songs like Yellow Leadbetter and Footsteps and Wash, like these, like these are songs that could have been on 10. They're all such good songs. Um, yeah, so deep and just, you know, obviously limited by, by the length of a disc. Almost Yellow Leadbetter was, was the B-side on the Jeremy single and, for whatever reason, I forgot the story as to what how it it ended up getting played on the radio, but then it turned into this radio song. Like it was on the radio all the time, and and I remember going to the wall and buying the Jeremy single for four or five dollars, whatever it was, because just it was so the I only could, way to get Yellow Leadbetter. Exactly, just so I could have Unless Yellow Leadbetter and could listen the radio. to it. Yeah, I mean, yep. it's, it's, it was the only way to listen to it. But then again, I remember, you know, the, the, the major pop station Z100 here in New York used to play Yellow Leadbetter every half an hour. I literally remember hearing that song every half an hour um, on the radio, and I couldn't believe it because it was like, again, it was the pop station here in New York. They still are all these years later. And, um, you know, it, it was a B-side, and yet they close the shows a lot of the time, even now, with, with that song. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, become an iconic closer for them. Um, I think most of the shows I've seen them play, they've finished with that song. Typically, they turn the lights back on and they play the song with the lights on, and like most people stay for it. Even though I remember one year, one time I left 
uh, when they started playing it because I knew it was going to be the last song and I was just like, I didn't feel like it was a Tuesday night and I didn't feel like sitting in traffic. I was in Buffalo. So I was already looking at a one hour drive home to begin with. So I was, you know, self-preservation. It might've been the only time I ever left a Pearl Jam concert early. It's kind of like leaving a, leaving a tied baseball game in the bottom of the ninth just to beat the traffic. But, um, it, it's uh and and the way they play it live is completely different than the um the studio version um i i kind of prefer the studio version it's just one of those songs i've heard live so many times that i'm kind of reverting back to wanting to hear the the original you know same with the live and even flow like i mentioned before so i just thought um some of those songs were definitely worth uh mentioning in the in the conversation and definitely think um you know, if you enjoy the, the the acoustic version of Black, then check out the entire uh, MTV Unplugged performance, which was the year after the album was recorded. Um, just really incredible. I mean, they literally don't have a second album out yet at the time, so they're just playing songs from from Ten um, to fill out this this performance and uh, and and State of Love and Trust. So. Um, definitely worth I'm, I'm sure you can find all the songs if not the entire concert on youtube oh it's there definitely I, I i go back and watch it far more than i care to admit to be honest with you um give me your track of the week because uh you can't stall any longer you got to choose something yeah i, I guess I, i'm gonna just go with jeremy just because um to me like that's always going to be the the iconic song and and um and i just whenever i hear it um Especially if I like play it on a jukebox at a bar, like something just comes over me. it's memories of the music video or what but like just the the entire performance of the song is really really epic and just kind of i get, end up having like an out-of-body experience whenever yeah, I, I hear it so i i hear you i i still get chills so no, no question about that let me let me ask you to just rate this album on a scale of one to ten and no pun intended yeah, well, um, I mean, attempt, as tempted as I am to give it a 10 because it's called 10, uh, I, I I think that um, just that kind of the fact that I don't absolutely love the, the very end of the album kind of knocks off a little bit. But, I mean, it's still a 9.5. It's one of the most iconic rock albums ever created, and, and it's the beginning of, of one of my all-time favorite bands' long and storied career that um, – you know, has been going for 30 years now. Um, I'm so glad you chose this because it was really cool to kind of go back and, and listen to this the way it was meant to be listened to. I 
considered listening to the the remixed version that they had made um, in I want to say 2009 or so. Um, but I felt like I wanted to really listen to the original recording and just really kind of put myself back into that that headspace from back in the day. And, and I'm glad that I did because I, I feel like this album doesn't need any polish. I think we discussed similarly when we talked about um, when we talked about Megadeth and, and Rust in Peace. It's like, did this album really need a fresh paint of coat? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I argue no. Um, just because I think that the, the 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 grunginess and the the just the kind of like it's it's so funny that it's called grunge because I mean it's the best way to describe it just the it's way that the it charm. sounds yeah it's part of what makes it a, a, a timepiece for that that period so um you know as much as I enjoy hearing like so, you know, albums get remixed just to hear a different kind of spin on things um, I, I don't know that I would if I had to choose one over the other on a deserted Island, I think I would always go with the original. I will give it a 9.5 as well. I think it's well-deserved. I wanted to almost give a nine so I could just cite RJ Barrett, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just go with a (laughs) 9.5. I think it's, uh, you know, shout out to RJ and, and and obviously Mookie Blaylock. It's a 9.5 for me as well. It's a, it's just a phenomenal release. And, and what I, what I particularly enjoyed about going back and listening to it, it it just brought me back to when I was 10 years old and I just, I I loved it. There was something uh, magical about going back in time. So uh, I'm happy with the choice and I I look forward to hearing what you have in store for next week, but just a couple, a couple of news items before we continue Uh, a peek behind the curtain. We're recording this on Thursday night. Tomorrow, the new Dream Theater single, The Alien, drops. So I will obviously be looking forward to that. And I'm sure I'll have some words about that next week just because, you know, you you, you know what you're going to get with them. But for some reason, you have to hear it. So you really I'm just I'm curious to see what that sounds like. And one other uh, little tidbit just in in an otherwise slow, slow news week. Rob Halford of um, Judas Priest is releasing his own beer line, which is something that a lot of other bands have done. I know Megadeth did it, Anthrax did it, uh, and a number of others. Uh, and, and kudos to him. I look forward to trying that. And, and I'll ask you, of all those like gimmicky uh, beer releases, obviously Iron Maiden did it as well. Did you have any favorites? I know you probably tried a bunch of them. I was not a big fan of the, the Iron Maiden. Um, it's actually kind of funny. I'm drinking out of a trooper glass as we speak that nice. a, a friend of mine sent to me um which i appreciate very much uh i doubt he's listening but shout out to joe um not my just kind of not my style of of beer but i really did enjoy the um the the first me- beer that uh, megadeth came out with a two um, had, was that what it was called it had a yeah it, it had a very um I thought it had a very hoppy flavor without tasting too much like um, a pale ale. And I thought it was like, I remember I saw it, they had it on tap at a bar I was at. Um, and I was thinking to myself, it tasted like a beer you would expect to have a very high alcohol content. And I'm like, I think I had like three of them and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to get wasted. And then I looked it up and it has like a 4.0 APV or whatever. So I'm like, all right, I guess uh, Dave wanted to keep it a little mellow on, on this outing. <laughs> I also, um, it was just, more like the risk as opposed to the P cells, I guess in right. terms of the beer selection. I also saw this pop up in my time hop today. So it's kind of timely that you mention it, but um, I had tried a beer that was uh, released under the Mastodon 
banner that I really enjoyed quite a bit. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but it was good. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say I would put those. Oddly enough, I, Pearl Jam released a limited edition beer called, um, uh, it's up on the shelf there. Oh, uh, Faithful, um, named after uh, one of their songs from the late 90s. I think it was from the, was that from the Yield album? Um, I think Anyway, so. uh, it was like a $15 bottle and it was just okay. It was kind of disappointing. But I, for me, it was really just to have the bottle. I still have it. Um, because it was just, I'm drinking a Pearl Jam beer. Like, how cool is this? So uh, I, I remember that. And I, I think I remember not particularly enjoying it myself. But, you know, they were one of the first to actually release those limited edition beers. So kudos to them. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you, because I'm really curious, what, what, are you, what are we listening to next week? Because um, you could go in a number of different directions, and I'm very curious. Yeah, well, um, I... <sighs> So I I landed on the band and then I'm um, and I'm looking through and I'm saying like, man, it's kind of hard to choose which album. And it just dawned on me. um, We've never talked about a live album before, not the band live, but a live recording. And um, being that we've not talked about this band yet and the fact that this is arguably my favorite live album ever, um, I would like to, for us to discuss Royal Hunt's live 1996 album, uh, which was released um, right after DC Cooper had joined the band and they had recorded Moving Target with him. And they would uh, go on. This was a double double disc live album, um, and they would do. Uh, DC would put his spin on songs from their first two albums, Land of Broken Hearts and Clown in the Mirror, which he was not in the band for at the time. Um, I love, 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 love this album so much. Um, I, I, it's, I think I, like I said, I think it's still to this day my all-time favorite live album. Um, and it's funny it, because it, I think that Paradox, although is probably many would regard as one of, if not their best album, this was all the material before Paradox, which wouldn't come out for another year or two later. So it is, it, it, it is interesting. But it sounds really good, and I look forward to going back to it because I don't think I've heard the album in a long time. Yeah, it, it, they do. They did re-release. Um, it originally came out um, on VHS in Japan, I think, and um, they re- they re-released it as a double DVD with the the, um, the live uh, performance of Paradox. So you kind of get with those two all the best of Royal Hunt. Um, you know, up until 1997 or so. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I was, I was thinking about talking about paradox and I had even mentioned it to you as, as a choice um, a few weeks back, but um, I just feel like we're kind of uh, going with a lot of obvious choices lately. So I felt like this would be kind of a little bit off the beaten path, especially considering that it's a live, performance and we haven't really talked about a live album yet yeah that's good i'm not even going to go into like the original recordings with obviously the original singer on some of this stuff i'm going to just evaluate it through the lens of a live performance which obviously was probably touched up quite a bit afterwards but i think it's worth just noting that the differences in dc's vocals compared to um kind of the original presentation and stuff like that and and um, there's just a lot of good material on here. It's if I'm not, it's like 23 tracks or something like that with, with you know the solos in there. It's 
really good stuff. So great choice. I look forward to it. So uh, with that, thank you very much for listening. We obviously appreciate the support. Um, We have a nice request coming to start the, uh, to start September. And we actually have some requests lined up for October and November as well, but keep them coming because if we keep getting a lot of them, we'll obviously sprinkle them in uh, mid month as well. So thanks for everything. Uh, keep uh, uh, keep the support if you uh, you know obviously think we deserve it. Leave us a good review or leave us a uh, a note. Drop us a line, and we'll talk to you soon when we do Royal Hunts Live 1996. Take it easy, bud. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care.